Well, this morning we continue on our Advent journey. These four weeks that lead up to Christmas as we prepare our hearts, we prepare our minds, we prepare our, our homes, our community for the birth of Jesus. And I know we are here surrounded by some of the more familiar looks and feels of Christmas. We've been singing some of the more traditional Christmas songs. But you had to know that at Chapel Roswell, we're not just sticking with the traditional and the familiar, right? I think the video shows you a little bit of that. No, this year it's not your grandma's Christmas. And we don't mean any offense to the grandmas in the crowd, all right? We love you, Grandma. You're great. But what we wanted to do was to dig a little bit deeper into the story of Christmas, to go beyond the familiarities and into the deeper meaning of the season, the, the reason for the season, if you will. Because I think when we dig a little deeper, we find that it's something a little more scandalous than we might be used to, something a little riskier, a little more gritty. We started this look two weeks ago with Dr. Tom Davis as he talked about the light in the manger that we come to adore, but that we don't just come and look at it and, and say, oh, isn't that nice? But we are to take the light and to carry that light with us out into the world, even into the darkest places, because that is where the light from the manger continues to shine. And last week, Eric reminded us about what it is to prepare room for Jesus. How do we proclaim this joyous, amazing, wonderful news of Christ's birth? Even in the midst of our own pain and the pain and suffering of the world. I know we had to cancel worship in the room last week because of the snow and ice, and who knew that would happen in Georgia. But I encourage you to go on our website or go on our YouTube page because Eric recorded the message for us. And in it is a wonderful invitation to prepare the manger in your own lives to get ready for Jesus. And so this morning we look to another familiar song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And we look to a very familiar character in the Christmas story, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now there are a lot of different understandings of Mary, of who she was, of who she is, of, of how we're supposed to respond to her, how the church is to, to treat her. And traditionally, our, our Catholic brothers and sisters, right, have grabbed hold of Mary, have, have lifted her up to a high status, have even gone so far as to say that she is without sin. And unfortunately for us Protestants, we've allowed the pendulum to swing in the entire opposite direction. And so we resist any talk about, about Mary, but this morning, I want us to push a little bit against that resistance. Now, I'm not going to go so far as to say she was wholly perfect or divine, but what I do want us to do is to dig deeper into her story, to see what she has to teach us 
about what happened in that stable by a manger 2,000 years ago and about what continues to happen in our world today. What is it about this woman and the baby she birthed that brought the herald angels out in masses to sing, Hark, glory to our newborn king. Now Mary's story begins with, with the Annunciation, that moment when the angel visited her to tell her that she would be the God-bearer, that she would give birth to the Son of the Most High. But before that, we need a little bit of background information because this Annunciation, it comes about halfway through the first chapter of Luke. And in the first part of the chapter of Luke, we hear about Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. And we read the story of, of Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, who had reached an old age, but were without children. You see, Elizabeth had been deemed barren, just unable to have children. But in the story, we hear of the angel visiting Zechariah and telling him that his wife will become pregnant. And that she will give birth to a son, and her son will prepare the way for the Lord. The son would be John the baptizer. And so we pick up our story of Mary and Elizabeth about halfway through Elizabeth's pregnancy. This barren, older woman, now full with child. It's almost like a, a little stepping stone into the story of Mary. As we ask, if God can do that, what else can God do? And so we start Luke chapter 1, verse 26. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house, and the virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. So it seems that our question might have been answered. If God can work miracles in Elizabeth's life, where might the next miracle occur? So enter Mary, a young woman engaged to be married, a virgin living in an unimportant town from an unimportant family. And although she is engaged to Joseph, a carpenter who is from the line of David, they're not yet married. And so in that time and in that place, Mary really didn't have any kind of status, no agency, no real identity of her own. That is, 
of course, until the angel came to visit. And from that moment on, everything changes. She, Mary, this teenage girl, is no longer no one. She is someone. And not because she's gotten married. No, not because she's gained status through, through a man or through family or through the ways of the world. No, Mary's identity is given to her as a gift from God. She is the favored one. Now, Mary's first confused and understandably so, right? But did you notice that it's not the, the presence of the angel that confuses her? It's the words that he says that cause her confusion. You, Mary, you are favored in the eyes of God. The Lord is with you, dear child. See him looking at him? Oh, what does that mean? For Mary to be called favored, to be singled out, to even be recognized as an individual person, that in and of itself is life-changing. But the angel continues, you, Mary, will be honored by God by bearing the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. You will give birth to the new king who will sit on the throne of David. You, Mary, are the favored one. You are the mother of God. You, Mary. I want to pause here just for a moment of personal privilege, if you'll give me that. There are a lot of really great versions of that song, Mary, Did You Know, right? But can we all please agree that, yes, she did know? It's right here. It's in Luke. She knew. Are we good? Are we all on the same page? Okay. Thank you. Anyway, Mary, this young unwed, unimportant, unnoticed, unremarkable woman is called favored, is honored, and will give birth to the most important, the most noticed, the most remarkable Savior of the world. And when that happens, the angels gather and they sing, hark, Come and see what is happening. Come and celebrate with the favored one of the Lord. And so that's what we do, right? We come and we gather with the angels and sing glory to our newborn king. But I'm afraid that we often forget or or maybe we just don't pause long enough to really see what it is that we're gathering around. While we may think that this great host of angels in all their glory and all their majesty are calling attention to something equally glorious, equally majestic, if we were to stop and look a little closer, we might see that that's not necessarily the case. Now, we gather with the angels around a baby. 
A baby born to an unwed teenage mother and a scared, uncertain father by her side. A baby born without a place to lay his head. A baby born to humble beginnings. A baby born into poverty. And so it seems that just as the angel Gabriel visited this ordinary woman, so now this great host of angels visited an unordinary or very ordinary birth. And yet we know, right? We know that this scene is anything but ordinary. Before our eyes, we see not just another mother, but the mother of God. And we see not just another baby, but our newborn king. And so we have this weird paradox, right? That something so extraordinary appears to be so ordinary. But that, that is the scandal of this story. That God has come to us through a child born into this world to live with us, to experience life as we do, to experience pain and suffering, and even to die. Our king, the king the angels proclaim, is here with us, with you and with me, and that is what makes this story so shocking. God is not looking to be a king like we would expect. God is not looking for our Savior to come from the rich, the famous, the powerful, the political, the ones who hold all the cards. No, God is looking for our Savior to come from the lowly, the ordinary, the unremarkable. Hark, the herald angels sing, God has come to you. God has come to us, mildly laying his glory by. Putting aside God's majesty, God comes to us as a baby. A crying, pooping, covered in spit-up baby. Hark, the herald angels sing. Christ our Lord is born today, born not to rise to power, born not to gain honor or prestige, not to be the most successful, not to rule as worldly rulers rule, but born to bring sight to the blind. Born to bring healing to the sick. Born to give a voice to the voiceless. Born to give hope to the hopeless. Born to bring peace in the midst of war. Born to bring light into the darkness. Born to bring life even in the face of death. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to our newborn king. A king who endure great suffering, 
a king who will be scorned and persecuted, a king who will die on a cross. Hark, the herald angels sing, Jesus, Emmanuel. God is with us. God with us. God has turned the world upside down, bringing glory and honor and salvation through the ordinary. And not because, hear this, not because that was the only choice. Not because that was the last choice, but because that was God's first choice. To bring salvation to the world through us. Through the ordinary. The good news of the gospel, as Bishop Ken Carter says, is that when God begins to look for us, God is not looking for perfection. God chooses the ordinary. God loves the unlovable. In fact, God reverses just about every expectation we have of how God would enter the world and save it. That means us. That means you, and that means me, that we are called favored, that we are honored by God because of Mary, because she is the one that is called favored, because she is the one that is honored, so might we be. And just like Mary, it's not because of where we come from or, or what we've done or, or who our family is or, you know what, even who we are. We are honored and favored as a gift from God because we are God's. God has called us his own. And so, do you hear the angels gathering? They are here in this ordinary place, in this ordinary time, and dare I say, with these ordinary people. They are here to announce to us that we have found favor with God. Do you believe that? Have you claimed that for your life? That no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, God has come to this world to be with you, to be with us. And we may be confused by those words, right? Just like Mary was. Oh, surely not me, God. You couldn't choose me. You wouldn't choose me. But God says, yes. I choose you. I choose you as my first choice. We hear it as the angels sing, hark, light and life to all he brings, to all, to all. God has come to us in the ordinary through a mother and through a baby. And God has taken that ordinary event and made it extraordinary. 
And now, as a people, we gather with the angels, invited into this extraordinary work of God to experience life with a Savior. A Savior that came into this world to live with us, to love with us, to serve with us, and then to die for us. As a people, we, we sing with the angels, right? We sing glory. But let us at the same time proclaim the scandal that is at the heart of it all. That God is with us. That God chooses us. So as we come to the stable, as we come to the manger, we're invited to ask of ourselves and to ask of the world, if God can do this, what else can God do? In my moments of hardship, what can God do? In my moments of pain and suffering, what can God do? In the moments of doubt and confusion, what can God do? In every moment of every day, good or bad, what can God do? I'll give you a hint. God can choose you. And God does choose you. The ordinary, the unremarkable, the unnoticed is transformed to become extraordinary. So as we sing with the angels, as we proclaim, hark, glory to our newborn king, well, we do it knowing that God has done amazing things and God will do amazing th things even through us. Will you pray with me? A holy and gracious God, you have come into this world proclaiming your truth and your love by calling Mary favored, by coming to us through a baby. As we join our voices with the angels, as we proclaim, hark, may we be reminded of all that this birth brings that it turns the world upside down, that it takes such an ordinary place, an ordinary time, an ordinary event, ordinary people, and makes it extraordinary through your love and your grace. May we be your people and proclaim with confidence that if God can do that, God can do anything in our lives and in our world, now and forever. Amen. Well, as we stand to sing this 
final song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I remind you that this is our time to give back to God. Just as God has been generous with us, let us be generous with God. There are ways to give posted there on the screens. But will you stand with me and sing together?